Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, it's Latif from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Tuesday, March 7th. I want to draw attention to something I had first intended to ignore. It's something that happened over the weekend at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, which took place this year at a convention center near D.C. If you've heard any news about CPAC, maybe it was that Donald Trump gave a speech that lasted nearly two hours, or the fact that CPAC wasn't very well attended compared to past years. But one moment that has gotten a little bit of press coverage was a really hateful speech by a political commentator who called for the eradication of transgenderism from public life. Using the word eradication was received as incredibly threatening, you can imagine, by many transgender Americans. Some compared it to the Nazis who wanted to eradicate the Jews and then, of course, tried to literally do that. In this case, the commentator also said, quote, there can be no middle way in dealing with transgenderism. It is all or nothing. That's another threatening line, right? And he basically denied the existence of transgender identity, instead calling it an ideology. That was the context of his call for eradication. Uh, The line was, quote, if it is false, then for the good of society, and especially for the good of the poor people who have fallen prey to this confusion, transgenderism must be eradicated from public life entirely, the whole preposterous ideology, unquote. And then, maybe even more scary than even the words in that line, and maybe even more reminiscent of Nazi Germany, the crowd attending the speech heard those words, and what did they do? They cheered. You don't have to be paranoid in America today to imagine that crowd becoming a mob and acting on the call to action as they had just heard it. Now, I've decided not to play the tape from uh, CPAC to not give that kind of hate speech and provocation that much dignity, and I wasn't going to discuss it at all. Why draw attention to someone so out there with no actual power to enforce his hateful views? But I'll take you behind the scenes a little to our daily meeting yesterday to plan today's show. The topic of the speech came up, and after some discussion, our team decided that the importance of the speech was not that it was given at all or given by someone most Americans have never heard of at a conference that few Americans attended. No, it was important because it was given in a context of a rising tide of calculated stoking of hatred and fear of transgender people for political gain that is actually being enacted into law around the country. Did you hear Morning Edition today? At the beginning of the 7 o'clock hour, they had a story about new bills for the Florida legislature expected to pass under Governor Ron DeSantis's guidance and leadership that would, for example, ban colleges from having a gender studies major or minor 
and expand the so-called Don't Say Gay Bill, which already bans classroom discussion of gender identity or sexual orientation through third grade, extended through eighth grade. So much for the argument that it's only about protecting really little kids from inappropriately sexual content, right? Uh, It would now be banned through eighth grade. The bill also would prohibit teachers, if you haven't heard this one, get this, from referring to students by any pronouns other than their sex at birth. And the language of the bill includes a line that really goes all the way to where the CPAC speaker went in denying transgender people's existence altogether. The bill says, quote, a person's sex is an immutable biological trait, unquote. A person's sex is an immutable biological trait. Sorry, transgender people, your identity no longer would legally exist in Florida schools. And for as bad as that is, Florida is just one state where that kind of thing is going on. Tennessee just passed a law. Maybe you saw some of the coverage on this that appears aimed at drag events, including voluntary and innocuous drag story hour events, as allegedly sexualized material that is harmful to minors. Drag story hour could be interpreted as a crime in Tennessee, and there are others. All of which is just to say, on that fine line between denying oxygen to something that could lead to Nazism versus calling it out, We first decided to deny it attention, but eventually decided in the whole context of how far these kinds of threats have already gotten, maybe it's better to call it out. I hope it's the right call. With me to discuss, Kate Sosin, LGBTQ plus reporter for the news organization The 19th, named for the 19th Amendment, which gave women the right to vote. Their latest article, by the way, from another part of their beat is headlined, Oklahoma lesbian will appeal after her parental rights were transferred to son's sperm donor. Maybe we'll get to that, too. Kate, thanks for coming on for this. Welcome back to WNYC. Thanks for having me, Brian. I'm happy to be with you this morning. How do you see the national context for the speech at CPAC? It's it's pretty complicated. I think, uh, you know, you're complicated feelings about calling this out are are on point and I am with you there right like it's difficult to to want to to deny this and and ignore it and it's true that comments like this really only have fuel in the context of national media which is that the more energy we put into them the more screen time we give them um the more meaning that they have and uh we really don't have a lot of information that gives us uh, credence, right? These these arguments are not winning with voters, right? Um, and at the same time, some of these bills are passing, and it is important uh, to point them out. And so, um, I'm I'm with you in that. Uh, it's really complicated to to track stuff like this, and so I'm I'm happy to be here with you talking about this. Um, and, and, and digging into some of it. And and I don't see that you or the 19th have published on the speech. Maybe I'm just not finding it. But if I'm right, did it just not make the cut? Or or did you grapple with the same kind of question that we were just discussing and land on the other side for the moment? You know, um, I look, we're a really small news team, first off. Um, and there is so much LGBTQ plus news right now that yeah. it's hard to cover it all. And then the other right. thing is, um, 
I, if someone else has done an article, I, I tend not to. Um, and that's what most of us do. This was going to be covered widely. But then the other thing is, um, I want to do a story that a trans person can look at and use, right? And, and rhetoric like this um, doesn't serve anyone. And um, when we look at a speech like like we saw at CPAC, um, it's not particularly surprising, but it also um, is not particularly relevant. And I know that that's going to sound surprising because we are seeing all these anti-LGBTQ bills. But if we look at the numbers and the polling, um, and especially I think midterms are the best indicator we have of where the country is at, um, that, this kind of rhetoric, it's not it's not winning with voters. So what it is doing is it's getting people like us on the radio to talk about it, um, which is of course why you are so conflicted about bringing it on. Um, and now every, all of us know, you know, the names of the people who are doing this, right? So all of us today are talking about CPAC, which a lot of people just didn't attend. Um, and, and are giving sort of air to these conversations. But, um, you know, the voting just tells us, you know, there are more what the human rights campaign calls equality voters voting than ever before. That number in 2018 was 29%. This year in 2022, it was 39%. It's a 10% jump. And white evangelicals who typically don't vote for LGBTQ issues and make up a big percentage of the GOP base, mm -hmm. um, they were at 26% in 2018, they're 24% now. Um, and so that those that core base is shrinking. Um, and so digging into this issue, which we've seen, um, is, has, has just not been winning. Uh, LG, more LGBTQ plus candidates won in 2022 than ever before, and, and by numbers, that we have just never seen before. And so I, you know, I think we are focusing on these anti-LGBTQ bills and, and we should be, and we should be talking about them um, because in, in, in some red states, they are getting traction, but at the same time, the country is moving on from this. This is a backlash to the country shifting. Can you, um, Expand on that phrase you just used a minute ago, equality voters. When you said there were more equality voters in the 2022 midterms and previous <clears throat> elections, how do you define that? Yeah, so the, uh, the, this is not my concept. So so the Human Rights Campaign, which is the largest LGBTQ organization in the nation, did some polling um, with Catalyst, um, which is an organization that does polling. And basically, equality voters are people that are motivated to go to the polls and they vote on LGBTQ plus issues as well as another other civil rights issues. Um, and they are motivated to go to the polls to vote for um, LGBTQ rights. And so they have been tracking this um, for the last few election cycles to see how many people actually go out to vote for LGBTQ issues. And then they run those numbers up against um, what are the issues that motivate people to vote um, just generally. So I think it's important to also note, you know, more than half of the voters that were polled in this last election cycle in the midterms 
chose inflation as their top issue. Um, and then the next big issue that they chose was abortion at 29%. Mm-hmm. Transgender health care. On, on the pro-abortion right side, overwhelmingly. Right. Yeah. Transgender health care and participation in sports came in dead last of issues that voters cared about. It with just 5% of people um in in that polling. So it's this is this ranks just so low. Um it's not an issue that most of us are thinking about when we're like, hey, my gas is expensive. I can't afford my groceries this month. You know, like I want to make sure that that I can send my kid to college, right? And so um it's, it's whether or not um a transgender child has access to the medical care that that is recommended by major medical institutions, like that's just not an issue that affects most people and whether or not they can get through their days. So it's not an issue that is terribly motivating for a lot of people um, because a lot of us, we don't know transgender children, right? And if we do, um, then for the most part, we see those kids as kids and are not gonna vote against them. Kate, you were just giving us a very optimistic take, I think, politically <laughs> speaking. And and I know you wrote um, a whole article after the November elections to that point. Republicans doubled down on anti-LGBTQ plus rhetoric in the midterms. It wasn't a winning platform, the headline of your article from November. But then how do you explain Ron DeSantis? He won in November in a blowout. He's now presumably laying the groundwork for a presidential run precisely by doing this in the Florida legislature. Look, there's there's no question that this is a strategy and that for some candidates, it is getting them a ton of airtime, right? And, and I want to also point out that this kind of rhetoric has real consequences, right? I I think that we can look at the number of transgender homicides and spike in them and and draw a line to this kind of rhetoric. It this kind of rhetoric has real serious consequences and also this kind of rhetoric it is winning a lot of people a lot of airtime. It is making people big names because the 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 more outlandish a statement, the more airtime you're going to get. Um I don't know that DeSantis's win can be connected to how anti-LGBTQ plus he is, but it has put him in the national spotlight a lot, right? Um, mm-hmm. He's right. And so, uh, you know, can we draw a direct line? I, I don't know. But if we were voting on just this issue as people, most of us and the polling shows that even across Republican voters, Republican voters largely do not want to vote against LGBTQ plus people. That's because most of us, whether or not we are Republican, Democrat, independent, whatever, have LGBTQ plus people in our lives, right? And so DeSantis may be um, a, a popular candidate. A lot of people see him as an alternative to Trump, who is appealing. Um, people have gotten wary of Trump. Um, but are they seeing that as a result of his stance on LGBTQ plus issues alone? I don't know that we have evidence of that. Yeah. Is it, is it in the analysis that you gave, is it worth unpacking LGBTQ plus 
just a little bit because I know that the polls certainly show that most Americans, and I think at this point, I don't know if it's a majority of Republicans, but certainly trending in that direction, support uh, gay and lesbian marriage. So that's becoming a consensus position. But their views on transitioning or even just having a kind of softer, non-binary, they-them persona, however we want to describe those, those parts of LGBTQ+, much more negative feelings. Or do you think that's wrong? No, I, I, I think you're onto something. Part of that is simply um, the, the math of knowing, right? Like, um, so I always go back to this moment in the movie Milk, which I don't know if a lot of people have seen anymore or not, but Harvey Milk makes um, all the activists call their families and come who, out Harvey to Harvey Milk, the, for people who don't know, the um, city supervisor or member of the board of supervisors, whatever they call it, in San Francisco, who is gay and who was assassinated. Yes, and 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 the idea basically is the more he, he just tells all of these activists, look, we're not going to get anywhere unless you come out. You have to just tell your families that you are gay. And and most of us in this country know and are close with someone who is lesbian or gay, right? Whether that's someone in your family or someone that you work with or a friend of yours, um, a neighbor, is the numbers of people who are trans that we know are far fewer um, maybe we have those representations on TV. They're not always positive. Historically, they have not been. Um, but and then to have a transgender kid, we just don't. We have far fewer examples of that. And for us, like our identities are so wrapped up in gender that we feel like, oh, kids transitioning genders is a scary concept, right? Like so you know, yeah, there is certainly a divide. There's even a divide in the LGBTQ plus community because we really feel like gender is very much tied to our identities. Um, and that, you know, if you want to explore or change your gender, there that your life is ruined, right? I am, I am a transgender person. I'm non-binary. I've known that about myself just about my whole life. And I've had a wonderful life, a beautiful life, lots of people who love me. Um, and it hasn't been filled with pain at all. But I think most of us think like, this is a terrible existence, right? Something is wrong. And there is an intervention. And we just don't want there to be trans people. It's like the worst outcome, which is how we used to see being gay and lesbian. Right. Um, and so I think that if we we just shifted that view and said, like, look, people can grow up and just have, like, beautiful lives. And, like, gender is, like, not the end-all be-all because uh, it's it's fine. Like, what makes being trans difficult is people not loving and accepting us. That is it. That's all. Um, you know, we'd have a different outcome. But, yeah, we are not there yet. Most of us do not know or have people in our lives who are trans, who are close to us. Lana in Brooklyn, you're on WNYC. Hi, Lana. Hey there. Um, yeah, thank, thank you for taking my call. This is actually my first time calling into any show on the radio. <clears throat> Glad you're on. And um, I, I, yeah, yeah, I wanted, to, and I am a transgender woman. I, my pronouns are she/her. 
And um, I wanted to call and thank you for this segment. I, I was listening, and um, I know there's like a desire not to provide platforms to people who say these things, but I think it is important to um, bring up these issues that, that they are important. Um, sorry. <clears throat> um, yeah, and, and so specifically what I wanted to talk about, um, so I, I, I've been transitioning for the past two years, medically transitioning. I actually just got facial feminization surgery a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. and um, a specific thing that I worry about is that although nationally um, it may not be as important of a topic it isn't something that I doubt that will pass on through the Congress to provide restrictions to like gender affirming care that sort of thing I do worry on the local and state level how really loud activists uh, sorry <clears throat> have really um, pushed so much of this rhetoric and so much of these changes that really do affect a lot of people in Texas and Florida. And I worry because in more of a uh, historical context, thinking about Hungary, thinking about Russia, a lot of the time in the past 20 years, kind of like the first few were targeted for public life was queer people, was um, <clears throat> queer expressions of, um, of identity. And I do worry about that, that there is this context there. And it is happening here. And, of course, I have also been threatened on the street before here in New York City. And so I do worry about this rhetoric leaching into other people and making creating a threat to both me, my friends, and that sort of thing. So thank you for taking my call. Lana, thank you for making it. Call us again. Sue in Manhattan, you're on WNYC. Can you do it in 30 seconds, 45 seconds? Sue? Absolutely. I, thank you, Brian. I'm an 88-year-old mother of a 63-year-old trans woman who has just moved to Portugal. The country is losing a wonderful citizen because she just had such anxiety. She hasn't had an anxiety attack in one month since she moved, and she just was feeling so desperate here. Even though nothing was happening to her personally, no personal attacks, just the environment and, and the hatred. And, and we're Jewish, so it's, it's compounding. So it's thank be- you so much for taking my call. I've never so called before, but I listen. I'm glad you called. It's better in Portugal? Yes. Thank you yes, very much. Well, let, let's finish kind of on that, Kate. I mean, someone I know with a transgender family member says they're wondering if it's even safe to live in the United States anymore with all that we've been discussing. Have you looked at whether other countries are any safer for trans people? Yes, um, I haven't. And I also want to share, I do know of parents with trans kids who have left the country and have talked with other families who are considering leaving because they are in states where these bills are passing but they're also looking at the rest of the country and they're saying, where will be safe? The whole country is looking at doing this and they want to raise their kids in an environment that feels affirming. And the rhetoric in the country right now is, is really damaging. Um, so yeah, I know of families and have reported on families who have left the country and others who are looking at doing so. Kate Sosin covers LGBTQ plus issues for the news organization, The 19th. Thanks, Kate. Thank you so much. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio 
10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.